many of you watch TV? Not many people in this place do. In TV, on a TV show, you have commercials. And before I begin the sermon today, I have a commercial. Um, one of my jobs is the field director for Wills and Trust. We actually have our director from the conference here, our new treasurer. He is the director of Wills and Trust. And it's important that each of our church members has a will or a trust. You may say to yourself, I'm not worth anything. Why do I need a will? If you pull out here today and you're driving down I-35 and you run into a cement truck or the cement truck runs into you, there could be a settlement. And the settlement could be in the millions of dollars. And therefore, you are what? You are worth a lot of money. And if you have any kids and you don't have a will, uh, the state will determine where they go. So it's extremely important, no matter what, how much you have, that you have a will. The conference will do it for you, free of charge, as long as you leave 10% to the conference. I will come by. I'll sit down with you. We'll go over it. It'll go through a lawyer, and you will have a will there. And it's extremely important. I cannot emphasize that you need a will. So what do you all need? That's good to hear. Take your Bibles, and we'll go to the book of Romans here. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It says the sufferings of this present time. There are two ways that a church can grow. Our Christianity can grow. And as a church, we are very deficient in that. As I look at the congregation today, do you have more full seats or more empty seats? You have empty seats. You're right here on I-35. People drive by on a constant basis, and they see the sign Seventh-day Adventist Church. Does anyone ever say to themselves, I wonder why they go to church on Saturday instead of Sunday, and they walk in here at the church. Do people do that? Once the last time at work, somebody came up to you and said, hey, I hear you're a Seventh-day Adventist. I want to go to your church. I go to my church, which is 25 miles away here, and will we have more full seats or empty seats? More empty seats. It is no different than here. If you go to the lot of the Adventist churches around, you have more empty than full. And the reason in this is two reasons. The first one I'm not going to look at is that in the New Testament church, there was a oneness there. In other words, on the front row of the church, you could have a Roman centurion, and sitting next to them could be the lowest of lowest slaves, and they were equal with each other, and they looked at each other as equals, not as one is superior to the other, and the church had a unity there that is dramatically missing from the church today. And the second one was found here in Romans chapter 18, I mean chapter 8 and verse 8, sufferings of this present time. It was 2003, and Elder Rodney Grove and I were getting ready to do a mission trip to Palau. And we did a pre-trip in October, and there's a pastor that took us around. He was from Brazil, De Paiva. He was a very godly man, a very nice individual. And we spent a couple days with him, and we were going to meet him back when we came back in January. 
But the news came to us in December that he had been broken into by an individual that was on drugs and was not in his right mind, and he had killed Pastor DePiva, killed his wife, killed his son, and brutally raped the daughter. A week later, there was a funeral there, and the mother of Pastor DePiva had come in from Brazil. She had flown in there, and it was a four-hour gut-wrenching funeral. And at the end of the funeral, when you had the three holes that were dug there in the ground, and Mrs. DePiva looked into the first hole, how much good, how much comfort did the doctrine of the Sabbath give her? In the next hole, when she looked in there and she said to herself, I'm glad I sure know who the mark of the beast is. That really helps me out. Is that what she said? When she looks at the next hole, she said, man, I'm glad I know about end time events. And I'm glad I have the right diet. Did that help her out? No. What would help a person out in a situation like that? Your son is dead. Your daughter-in-law is dead. Your grandson is dead. And your daughter, granddaughter is traumatized. In Christianity, I don't think we look at it in a very correct way. We think to ourselves, this is what I believe, and that's what I believe. But should we look at this a little bit differently? When suffering comes into our lives, there are three things that we need to look at that somehow we should never forget. Number one is we should never be surprised. Life is like this. If I go to Africa and there is a swamp there, all of us go through swamps in our lives. We are always walking through a swamp. Sometimes the water is this deep. Sometimes it is deeper. Sometimes you're walking through a swamp and you could fall straight down three or four feet. Also, if you are in a swamp, would you expect snakes to be there? Would you expect alligators or crocodiles to be there? Would you expect hippos to be there? Would you expect anything to be friendly there? Would you be a little bit nervous? But you would not be surprised if a snake wraps around your foot and begins to pull you down because you know there are snakes in the swamp. And also, if a loved one is with you, and something wraps around and it takes it down, you are not going to be surprised because you know that you are where? In a swamp. When Adam and Eve sinned, we are each in a swamp, and we are Christians now, and therefore we need to react that way. The problem is as we walk through life and we are in these swamps and we are pulled down, we react just like everybody else does. Therefore, there is no reason to become a Christian. There is no reason to um, join the church because my reaction is the same. You are going to go from one crisis to the next to the next. That is not going to change. How do you react to that? If a loved one dies, don't be surprised. It's going to what? Happen. They're going to die sometime sooner or later anyway. But somehow we have a misconception of Christianity that our loved ones are supposed to live how long? Forever. If you look at Scripture closely, there are three periods 
of miracles. There were periods of time of Moses, Elisha, and Elijah, and a time of the disciples. Only three periods. In Acts 2, we have Pentecost, the latter rain. Do any of us expect, I mean, the early rain? Do we expect, the, what is the latter rain going to occur? Maybe sometime in the future. Could it be that in James chapter 5, when it says, pray to the elders and your loved one will be healed, that that might have been for that period of time more than it is for our period of time today? Can you go around and touch a napkin or a cloth that Ted Wilson had and be healed? Can you? Could you with Peter or Paul? Yes. So we are under the assumption sometimes that if a loved one is sick, they are going to be healed. It doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture. What it does say in Scripture in Philippians chapter 4 is he will give you the peace of understanding. He will take, give you peace. If you have peace, you can handle anything. Now, this is my theory. I don't know if I could practice it or not. That uh, if I go to a doctor and the doctor says, Bill, you have six months to live and we can do some treatment. And I, I would say, fine, let's do it. But you have six months to live. I am not calling the elders of the church to anoint me. I'm not going to do that. And uh, did God know I had cancer before I went in there? Does he know when I leave? Yes. Does he have the hairs on the head of my numbered? And that's fine. I don't need to call the elders of the church. I'm not going to be focusing on myself. What I am concerned about is the people that are around me. I already have salvation. If I die in six months, no problem. I will, I'll rest and then I'll be with the Lord. If I live another 20 years, no problem because I'll still be with the Lord. My focus is during that six months of living is the people that I come into contact in the hospital, the nurses and the doctors, that I somehow through my witnessing and my rejoicing in my suffering, that I can, they can find Jesus Christ through me. I'm not going to be complaining about the food because it's not going to come sometimes. I'm not going to be complaining about this or that or that because you're in a hospital. Things are going to go wrong. That is a given. There's always going to happen. But I'm only here another six months. Can I not make it better for the people around me? My goal is their what? Their salvation. Now, that's a theory I have. I don't know if I would do it or not. But that's what the New Testament is. You focus on those around you. You are not surprised when something goes wrong. If you're in a swamp, are things going to go wrong? Yes or no? Yes. So don't be surprised. Number two is don't be shaken by it. You know, when something happens, you ever heard people go around, woe is me. You know, they get this bill or that bill. They're in all sorts of situations. You look at they go, woe is me. And after they finish going, woe is me, you say, man, I want to go to that person's church. No, I mean, people are not shaken by it. People are watching you. You claim to be a Christian. You claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, people don't care about the Sabbath. They don't care about our doctrines. They, what they care about is something that works. Does your Christianity work? And Paul is always saying in Philippians and different verses, rejoice in the Lord how much of the time? Only when things go good? It says always. Does that mean you rejoice in the Lord when a child dies? 
The way you rejoice in the Lord when a child dies, you don't rejoice, go out and say, I rejoice. What you pray for is the peace of past understanding, realizing that God is in your heart, God is in control, he will take care of this, and you will have the peace to go through that situation. We are shaken so many times. At the time of uh, the, the disciples, when somebody was sentenced to death, to go into the arena, to die by lions or whatever they had in there. Did they go in there saying, woe is me? Did they go all this? They went in there rejoicing that they had an opportunity and a privilege to suffer as the person of Jesus Christ suffered when he walked on this earth. And they died with a joy in their hearts. And the guards that watched them said, what do they have? that I do not have. The world today does not have peace. They have entertainment. They have drugs. They have all sorts of different things that they're trying to find this, and they don't find it. But as a Christian, we should have that peace that passes understanding that is a gift from God that God gives you that you can go through life realizing that things are going to be going wrong, but you expect it, so therefore you are not shaken by it. And the greatest witness by far in the Old New Testament was the death of the Christians in the arena. Thousands chose to follow Christ because those died. And today, when something goes wrong, what is your reaction? How do you respond to it? The third thing is um, do never, never expect things to get better. I'm guilty many times talking to people saying, hold on, things are going to get better. Things may get better, but it doesn't say in Scripture, pray for things to get better. Have you ever noticed that our, what our prayers are like? We are always praying for the circumstance to change. If the circumstance changes, then we would be more happy or this or that. We want the circumstance to change. If I have cancer, I want what? I want to be cured. If I have financial problems, I want to be what? Cured. If I want this or that, I'm always praying for the circumstance to change. It does say in Philippians chapter 4, bring all your requests to God, but it doesn't say anything about your requests are going to be answered. You ever notice that? You bring your request to God, and then he doesn't, nowhere in the New Testament does it say that our requests are going to be answered. When we then talks about ask, believe, and all that, that's talking about asking for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and all that. It says in uh, Matthew 7, God will take care of everything. Do not worry as the pagans worry about everything. God will take care of you. You always are praying in your prayers, change this circumstance or change that circumstance. If a loved one has cancer, you're praying that it'll change. Maybe we should be praying for their salvation because that's what's important in our lives, is that the person is what? Saved. There's really nothing else that matters in life. When you die, is if you're what? Saved. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how money you don't have. It doesn't matter who you know or who you don't know. The only thing that matters is if you are saved and you've had an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. In Philippians, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Paul here is in prison. Is prison a pleasant place to be? 
What's more pleasant, to be in a prison in the United States of America or 2,000 years ago in a Roman prison? Did Roman prisons have heating and air conditioning? Did they have good bathroom facilities? Did they have nice soft beds? Did they have a mattress? Did they have anything? And Paul is in prison. And Paul is saying here in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 13, so that it has been evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ, the most of the brethren in the Lord have become more confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak without fear. It says people in the palace guard know that his chains are for Jesus Christ. And then he finishes up in Philippians chapter 4, and he says here um, in verse 21, I mean, Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Now, Paul is in prison. He is chained to a guard on each side. The guards are the elite imperial guards. They have fought many battles. Do they want to be chained to Paul for 12-hour or 8-hour shifts? Here's this old man there, and they look at him. Do you think the prison guards ever yanked the chains on him? Do you think Paul ever said, I need to go to the bathroom? And they look at each other and say, so what? Do you ever think they knocked his food over and spilt it all over him? They didn't want to be there. What do you think Paul's reaction was to those around him? When he first got chained to a prison guard, he looked at the guard, and this is the first thing he said to them. You know what? We go to church on Sabbath. And the prison guard looked at him and said, so what? You know, we believe all this stuff, and you know, we believe this, and we believe that. Do you think Paul says anything at all? In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, be ready to give an answer when someone asks you. Who is bringing up the subject, you or them? They are because you are different. I believe that Paul says nothing to them. They yank the chain, he smiles. They treat him bad, he smiles. No matter what they do to him, it doesn't affect him because he realizes that he's only there for a little bit of time. He will soon die by the sword of Nero, and then he'll be with his Lord for what? Ever and ever and ever. As it says in Romans chapter 8, our sufferings are just for what? A little while. So he knows he's going to suffer. He's not surprised. He's not shaken, and he realizes that he's probably going to be there the rest of his life. And as the prison guards are there watching him, finally one says, you know, all the other prisoners curse at us. They do this to us. They do that to us. And you have said nothing. Why are you different? And I can see Paul saying this. You know, long ago in the town of Bethlehem, there was a God that was born. And he begins to describe the life of Christ, how he talked to the woman at the well, how he reached out and touched the leper, 
the woman caught in adultery. And he treated all these people that were nobodies as somebodies. And as Paul describes that, the Holy Spirit flows through Paul into those prison guards, and those prison guards are forced to make a decision. And the prison guards come home, and they say to their wife and children, I have met a prisoner like I've never met before. And one after the other is converted through the Holy Spirit because Paul is doing what? He is suffering, and he's doing what in his suffering? He is rejoicing, as it says in Romans 8, because he knows he's here for how much time? Just a little while, and then he will be God with forever and ever. And he is concerned about all the individuals around him. That is what the New Testament teaches about suffering. It is what we need to practice. Until we practice that, our churches will be empty. In Christianity today, there's a thousand churches in North America that close every year. Uh, One out of ten pastors that start out as pastoring will finish as pastor. Fifty percent of the pastors that are pastoring wish they could quit. Now, this is all denominations there. All churches that are small except a few mega churches are dying because they believe that that, uh, uh, Christianity is dead. And uh, during the time of Christ, it was a very secular time. And what the disciples taught is something that we need to teach today, and that is the life of Jesus Christ. Christianity today teaches uh, prosperity gospel, which is absolutely not in the New Testament, period, of the disciples. How many of them had a good retirement? How did their lives all end? Except for John, they were killed. Um, Did they have a good 401k plan? Did they have vacation homes? They didn't have really very much. Also, it says here that that in Scripture that they were not concerned about what was happening politically. During the time of Christ, was Nero a good, honest emperor? Did they cheat on taxes back then? Did the tax collectors keep the money? In our games today, in our football games, in our sporting games, does a losing guy lose their head? No. Gladiators, when you lose, what happens? You lose your head. Slavery was, in some of the cities, 90% of the city was slaves. Paul realizes he is not trying to change a society. He is trying to change what? Individuals. And that is what we need to do. That is what we need to look at as we walk through our Christian experience is changing individuals through the Holy Spirit. We need to look at Scripture. We need to read Scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to come into our lives to change us. So when things go wrong... We are looking to Christ, not, as a, not at the things that go wrong. If you can do that, then people will see something in you, and they will see something that works and is something that they want. Back to 2003. During that four-hour gut-wrenching funeral, Mrs. DePiva, the mother of Pastor DePiva that was killed, got up front. Now, that is something that I could never do. And she called up the mother of the individual that killed her family. And she brought her up to the front. And she said to that lady there, we train our kids upright, and we don't always know which direction that they may go. And sometimes they turn the wrong direction. 
And she offered forgiveness to that lady and to the individual that killed her son. Could you do that a week later? This was written about in the Guam newspaper a thousand miles away at an article about that. That is what Christianity is all about. The guy there that was in prison now, he's a Christian. He's witnessing there in that prison now for the murders of those three individuals that he took their lives. That is what Christianity is all about. Offering forgiveness to those around us that do not deserve forgiveness. That changes people. He's not, she was not bitter trying to get revenge. I'm sure the Lord, she struggled with the Lord, but the Lord touched her with a miracle and she was able to offer forgiveness. Today, if you want to walk the walk, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to come into your lives, to change you, to make you over, to give you the ability to suffer because you're always going to suffer. It's not going to be changed. You'll be, you'll be shaken, but do it privately and always give the honor and glory to God. And with Paul, you can do what? You can rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you're like Peter. It's too great of honor to be crucified right side up. I need to do right side down. When you know God and that God died for you and you are saved, you have this confidence that the only the Holy Spirit can give you and you will walk through life and you will have a Christianity that will never, never end. And I challenge you today to have that Christianity. Our Father and our God, we look at our own lives and so many times we fail. So many times we disappoint you, but you're always there. You're always there to pick us up. Help us to look at you in all circumstances in our lives to teach us, to show us the way. And we know you can because you have the hairs on our head number. We thank you for being a God of love. In Jesus' name.